It's Thursday, January 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Bill Parker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got airlines. We've got energy. We're going to start with insurance. Travelers, fourth quarter profits came in higher than expected. Travelers' renewal premiums were up. Their catastrophe claims were down. This looks like one of those quarters where if you're a traveler shareholder, every number is going in the direction that you would want it to be going, although the stock isn't really popping in the way that would reflect that. It's up a couple of percentage points. It is helping to lift up the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but it's not shooting to the moon. No, nor nor should it be shooting to the moon. Um, things get a little bit better over time, uh, on the whole, for travelers. But the earnings per share down this year, uh, down against uh, almost every one of the last five years. There's always a little bit of uh, cyclicality in what the claims are going to be. And I think, as you mentioned, um, the net income on on the investments was uh, it was a good quarter. It was a great quarter for investments in the fourth quarter. So uh, their float should have been performing uh, pretty well. Uh, but uh, you know, really, travelers not not earning as much money as they did five six years ago. Um, and so, why why should the stock be you know setting new records under under that scenario? Is insurance an industry that interests you? Is it one of those industries that you look at and think, if you're an investor, not that you have to have exposure to the industry itself, um, but it it certainly is, you know, it certainly is worth looking at because I, I got to say, in my investing life, never once have I thought to myself, I really need some exposure to the insurance industry. No, other than your investment, which I'm guessing exists in Berkshire Hathaway, which uh, is largely an insurance company, if you do own any stock in that. I don't. You don't. Have you ever? No. I'm prying now. That's fine. We've <laughs> many, known each other long enough. You can pry. Many people have. Like if 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 you had uh, owned some Berkshire Hathaway over the course of your investing lifetime, that wouldn't be a surprise. Even to you, it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? No, and and now you're reminding me that it, it probably would be not only um, not a surprise, it would be a lucrative thing to own shares of Berkshire Hathaway over, say, let's just call it the last twenty years. But that's that's the entryway. There are some other insurance companies uh, that have have interested uh, me as an investor over the years, but not really uh, the larger ones for the most part, other than Berkshire. Um, it's a good dividend paying uh, company in. Uh, uh, many cases for the, for the insurance uh, industry, uh, Travelers has done a good job of increasing their dividend uh, every year. So it's a steady business and one that I think somebody that's more in the retirement category can uh, count on for income. Um, but it's not, you know, it doesn't turn out to be a a great growth business. A pair of energy companies out with fourth quarter reports today. Baker Hughes, the oil field services business, revenue higher than expected and the loss was smaller than feared. Uh, Kinder Morgan's profits were higher than expected and the pipeline operator's revenue looked good as well. And yet, when you look at shares of both Baker Hughes and Kinder Morgan, they are somewhere between treading water and down slightly, which maybe that says 
something about the low expectations that both probably had, as well as the overall state of this part of the energy industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's as it always is, sort of a, a bet on uh, oil. Uh, the price of oil is going to have a lot more to do uh, with these companies, for the most part, than uh, you know quarterly earnings report. So, Kinder Morgan, uh, you know, Baker Hughes is basically, I think, at the same uh, stock price that it was uh, really in in the uh, '80s. Which is not not a good thing for long term shareholders, right? I mean, you've pocketed some dividends over that time, but uh, if you bought in you know nineteen eighty seven uh, for twenty four bucks a share, it's twenty two bucks a share now. Uh, ouch. So, ouch. Uh, part of the problem here, other than the price of oil, which is to go back to that, the the main driver of where the stock price is going to move over uh, periods of time in its cycle. It's a cyclical stock. It, it's it's captive to the price of oil, and you know Baker Hughes on top of that had sort of a, I would say a bungled um, uh, merger operation with uh, GE's uh, oil uh, business, and that didn't really play out the way it was advertised to. General Electric is no longer you know the main shareholder of, of Baker Hughes, but uh, still owns 36%. And I don't know if that's DNA that you value or not uh, at this point, um, General Electric uh, contributions to your business. Isn't it amazing what's happened to General Electric in the last 10 years? I mean, you could go back even further. And if you go back even further to when Jack Welch was running the business and sort of this was the gold standard of those blue chip Dow stocks, and it is such a far cry from where it was back then. Yeah, Jack Welch uh, had uh, a hell of a ride uh, left at a good time, um, maybe not the perfect time for GE stock. Uh, remembered for many things, uh, the book he wrote, um, the the the. Uh, Carnage that he left uh, to the the financial condition of the company once uh, it was all unraveled, um, but also for saying, I think at the peak of the market in the late '90s, that GE stock could not be overvalued. That is, that if the stock price uh, went up dramatically, he could just use the price of the stock to acquire more companies uh, and. Then create value through that acquisition, and that was, you know, a level of hubris that I think uh, was, you know, unveiled subsequent to his departure. Really, yeah. I mean, this is uh, something that has been. This gets at something that has been referred to a couple of times on this show over the past few weeks, and it is when we've talked about it previously. It's come out in the form of guidance. Just sort of like, you know, whether I own shares of a company or not, I always appreciate when companies are straightforward with their guidance. Um, I always think it is a good thing, uh, all things being equal, that executives uh, under promise and over deliver. Um, hubris almost never works out. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's one thing for a Wall Street analyst to talk about a growth stock 
on CNBC or Bloomberg and say, "There's, I would buy this stock at any price. There's no way to overvalue this stock." It's another thing when the CEO of the company says it, and it's 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 never a good thing when that happens. Yeah, and there was a happy marriage, I suppose, at the time between uh, GE's ownership of. Uh, NBC and CNBC, and um, you know his his ability to appear and have lavish praise bestowed upon him uh, on the, the major distributor of uh, business news. Um, so it was uh, there were some synergies there, and uh, you know GE has been in many of the wrong places. Uh, ever since then, um, you know, it just hasn't been the right economy for their business in a lot of ways. They, if they'd held on to their financial uh, position, if the you know they hadn't spun that off, things would have gone a little bit better. Uh, but um, you know, it, it is a tough, tough road that GE uh, faces these days, and uh, that includes their their work with Baker Hughes. We'll move on to earnings in just a second, but I, I would just add, by contrast, Comcast, which is now the owner of NBC Universal and therefore CNBC, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw Brian Roberts, CEO of Comcast, on CNBC. He, you know, for whatever else he is doing running that business, he is clearly not following the Jack Welch playbook of, oh, I own this business news network. I think I'll just show up there constantly. Yeah, he he does not appear to be the the media hound that uh, Jack Welch was, um, and um, Comcast shareholders uh, look, GE shareholders did great <laughs> during the Jack Welch era. So uh, he he was able to uh, legitimately take some some victory laps there, but he may have taken more than more than he should have ultimately. United Airlines lost nearly $2 billion in the fourth quarter. And there are other numbers as well, but I think I'll just stop there. Shares of United Airlines down about 6% today, and it has been cut in half over the past year. Yeah, to get back to uh, cyclicals, um, it appeared up to maybe 12, 18 months ago that, that airlines had departed from the cyclical nature of the business. And uh, I think that we are uh, shown again that, that that isn't the case there. It's just, I mentioned in one of the podcasts a long time ago and asked you know a CEO to shadow for a week or a month that I would uh, shadow uh, United's CEO. And be, be, just because of the variety of problems and and opportunities that one would get to face, and uh, you know, I think that the the work that is being done there now is probably taking you know three steps back as as fascinating, you know, in terms of having to juggle so many different issues with employees, with customers, with the politics, with trying to get Congress to to help your industry out, to make the, the case that the, the saving however many employee jobs you can make the argument can be saved by directing money directly or indirectly toward the airlines, um, you know, is all fascinating. But it, the fact that this is a fascinating business um, isn't necessarily one that translates into shareholder returns because again and again and again, customers 
are faced with the question in their own minds, is it safe for me to fly? And sometimes that's that's a crash. Sometimes that's you know the issues with Boeing's Max uh, plane. Um, today it's it's with something you couldn't have expected uh, 18 months ago in terms of infectious disease. Sometimes it's terrorism. Um, again and again and again, customers take a big break from using airlines because of their fear of using the service. And that's where we are right now. And airlines, I think, at, at some level have done a good job of uh, making the flights safe in terms of the transmissibility of, of COVID. Uh, but I'm not sure that they have succeeded in convincing enough people that they're doing a good job with it. Or, or what they need to do is an outstanding job of um, you know, keeping those numbers at virtually zero, and they're trying, um, but I don't think that you know most people think right now that it's safe to fly. I'm tempted to say that there is an opportunity here for investors with a stock that's been cut in half, because at some point we will see a return. That said. You know everything you mentioned, starting with your opening point of like this is a cyclical business. Um, it does seem like, uh, and I almost hesitate to say this. It does seem like you, if you're looking to buy shares of United Airlines, you got to time it right. And as someone who has no interest whatsoever in trying to time the market, um, that alone keeps me away from United Airlines because. Uh, it, it, it's almost analogous to how we say when a when a company goes public, you kind of want to give them a couple of quarters to see how they do because it's so much harder to be a public company than a private company, and yeah, yeah, maybe it takes off and and you miss out on some early gains, but uh, more often than not, there are bumps in the road those first couple of quarters. With the airline industry as a group, and obviously specifically with United Airlines, I, I feel like it's the same thing. We need to see a couple of quarters of one encouraging sign after another before we can feel like, okay, yeah, the airlines are on their way back. But if you're doing that, you're going to miss out on some gains. Yeah, I, at, at that point, it's too late. Uh, as, as you say, the stock's been cut in half over the last year, but it's also doubled since May, and uh, more than doubled. It was 19 bucks a share, now it's 42 Of course, it was 85 or, or so uh, a year ago. So, yeah, if we had the ability to either time cyclicals well or teach people a good method for timing cyclicals, uh, we could all retire because it's uh, virtually impossible. And if you wait around for those couple of quarters, then you've missed the big gains. Um, but you've also protected yourself from, you know, the worst case scenario. And, you know, United was I don't know what three, four, five bucks a share back in, uh, you know, the the dregs of of you know oh eight oh nine. So you could have ridden this stock from three to 90 um, from 09 to you know uh, 2019 uh, and then you could have seen uh, you know the vast majority of that taken back away 
and not because the airline itself was uh, making any mistakes, but because of things really beyond its own control. And I don't know that um, things will ever be enough in control of the airlines to prevent them from being cyclicals. Before we wrap up, uh, this weekend, the NFL Conference Championship Games are happening. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. My, my one business-related thought to the NFL Championship Games is CBS has got to feel pretty good about the four teams that are remaining because even though the Super Bowl is not like any other major sports championship in America where the television ratings depend on, uh, to a very large degree, the teams involved. You know, we, you and I have said for years, if, if the television networks that have the World Series could wave a magic wand every year, uh, most years it would be the Yankees against the Dodgers. Uh, just because those are the two biggest markets. You know, you throw the Cubs in there, the White Sox, the Mets, um, maybe uh, the Anaheim Angels or whatever whatever the name of that team is. The Angels, the California Angels for people of a certain age. But for the most part, it's dependent on the teams involved. If, if the, you know, God bless the Baltimore Orioles and the Cincinnati Reds, but if those two teams are meeting in the World Series, uh, the ratings just aren't going to be good. The Super Bowl, the ratings are almost team-proof in terms of who's going to be there. And yet, again, the the narratives, regardless of which teams make it, um, there's going to be a really good storyline for the Super Bowl. Um, do you have one in particular that you're rooting for or, or any other related thoughts slash predictions? Uh I, I guess, you know, I'm still uh, on board with Mahomes and, and would be rooting for the Chiefs and uh, Andy Reid, who did a great job in Philadelphia uh, and is still uh, loved and respected. I don't know. Loved is, is a tough thing to achieve in Philadelphia and to hold <laughs> for very long, but, but uh, it's my, my hometown, so I can, I can say that about the sports fans there. Uh, one thing, I, and I was trying to like, oh, who are you rooting for? And so I did like a tiny bit of, of research on one aspect of, you know, one of these quarterbacks. Uh, and, and that was like, you know, are there, are there points that people would, would give or take away today uh, from Tom Brady about his, his relationship with uh, the former president Trump, and uh, I'm not here to bestow or take away those points. But in in um, what I did come across in looking at what the relationship had been was uh, a moment when he talked to Howard Stern about his friendship with Trump, and Stern's um, saying that, and he's had a radio show friendship with Trump you know, as, as a guest, and that Trump had tried to get Stern to speak at the Republican convention, um, and which was something I didn't know. And um, boy, I would, I would love to see a reenactment, both of the negotiation there and maybe even, I guess, um, a, a creation of the Howard Stern speech at the Republican National Convention had it occurred. Like, I, that's that's a mini series I would watch. That would be something to watch. Yeah, that would one way or another that would be memorable. <laughs> I uh, think there would be something in there for everybody. <laughs> there probably would. Uh, to bring it back to the uh, the question at hand, 
I, I, I'm, I'm going to show my age once again. I, I'm rooting for good games. So I, like, I, I, there's not one team in particular that I'm rooting for. I, I'm just rooting for entertaining games. Um, I do think the storyline of Green Bay against Kansas City, which are the two teams that met in the very first Super Bowl, I, I, there's, there's something about that storyline that's sort of tugging at my heart a little bit. And I, I think that um, uh, CBS would have a lot of fun promoting that. Um, um, but it, it reminded me of, uh, and this is something you could just search on YouTube, and it is for any uh, NFL fan. It's worth uh, <laughs> it's it's worth watching. Uh, so so now nowadays it's you know it's common to have uh, coaches mic'd up on the sidelines, and on YouTube uh, you can find the very first time that happened in the Super Bowl. It wasn't the first Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl four which featured the Kansas City Chiefs against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and the coach of the Chiefs is Hank Stram. And Hank Stram, first of all, wearing a coat and tie on the sideline, which is a, a great look. And it'd be fantastic if, if some, particularly a younger coach in the NFL, just decided, yeah, I'm doing that. Probably, probably you know, ended it, with Tom Landry, would be my guess. Uh, Tom Landry or maybe Dan Reeves. I think Dan Reeves went, went coat and tie for a long time. But, uh, uh, but Hank Stram, just highly entertaining on the sidelines there. But yeah, I think, I think, I think Packers-Chiefs go back to Super Bowl one. That's, that's a pretty irresistible storyline. Yeah, if you follow uh, Super 70s Sports on Twitter, uh, a, a frequent um, thing they bring up is the, the picture of uh, Len Dawson, I think, during the halftime of the Super Bowl um, in the locker room smoking. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the many reminders of uh, how things change <laughs> over time. Yes, and and in that very first Super Bowl, Max McGee, uh, wide receiver for the Packers, who caught two touchdown passes, um, yeah, Max McGee uh, out drinking the night before. He yeah. basically woke up the morning of the Super Bowl hungover, and then uh, you know rolled out of bed, caught a couple of touchdown passes. As one did, as one did, as one and did. Then- <laughs> I doubt, by the way, he was the last guy uh, to show up uh, at the Super Bowl with a hangover. But uh, I I think uh, uh, it's probably not done nearly as much these days. Bill Barker, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.